Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Guardian. Welcome to the second episode in a series of five shows exploring the best podcasts of the year as selected by the judges of the British Podcast Awards 2018. I'm Rihanna Dillon and today we're going to kick off this celebration by looking at the nominees for three categories that made you laugh, thrill and delight in the past 12 months. They are best comedy, fiction and true crime. Let's tuck in. First are the nominees for Best British Comedy Podcasts, supported by Podient. A gay and a non-gay tells you all you need to know. One presenter, James Barr, is gay, and the other, Dan Hudson, isn't. The podcast has both challenging and funny conversations about the preconceptions of LGBTQ+, and so-called non-gay people. In this clip, some modern gay terminology is examined. So it's a new year and as such we have some new production. A voiceover has done some new shit basically. Yeah, yeah, that's it. But Dan doesn't understand what any of them are because I, 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 I sent the email. I haven't heard it. Okay, so I thought I'd play them to Dan because Dan, um, Dan doesn't know what they are. I'm pretty sure you're not going to understand any of them. I probably will. Okay, I don't think you will. <laughs> it's, this is like the time I tried to explain what a fag gag was or <laughs> that time where I tried to explain what on fleek meant and you thought it meant on your period. <laughs> Okay, here we go. Spill that tea. I don't know. Is it like the T and LGBT or something? So it's something to do with transgender. <laughs> no, Dan. It means like spill. Tell us the gossip. Like what's what's um, the tea? Tell us the tea. Let's let's drink the tea. Like spread the butter. Spread the butter. Shade. That's obvious. Yeah. What does it mean? Well, it's like if you mug someone off. <laughs> Mug someone off. That's like the hetero version of shade. Yeah, mugging someone off. That boy is a bottom. Um, isn't that a bit un-PC to say like oh this dude is a bottom as if that's a bad thing no that would be different that's bottom shaming how is that not this oh that's interesting that boy is a bottom yeah I, th- I think you're right maybe we shouldn't use that one <laughs> do you think that's offensive I don't know I kind of envisaged it just would play like you know whatever but you are right maybe that is bottom shaming oh that's a shame we can't use that one well, like I'm a top and a bottom. We've discussed this before. I'm yeah. both. And well, you're, quite and a few times, actually, this seems to come up. Are you saying that I'm advertising it? <laughs> Evidently. You're probably right. It's probably wrong, because I thought we could put that liner in after like a section where I was having a meltdown. So it was like... That boy is a bottom. Why does no one love me? That boy is a bottom. I thought that would be funny, but actually, you're right. That's bottom shaming myself, <laughs> so, which is a very odd thing to do. <laughs> Why would we do that? Sometimes I am a bottom, though. I think there's a difference between a top and a bottom. We know what that is. No, I mean mentally. I think for me, I can be in a different headspace. To, like depending on what headspace I'm in, is as to whether I'm a top or a bottom. So right. I can understand why some of the community bottom shame because to them they think being a bottom means you're feminine, and I and I don't disagree. Oh, but what someone's, am I got, someone's got to bloody do it. 
<laughs> Thank you, Dan, for solving solving the gay issue here. But yeah. they, someone's got to take one for the team. Right. <laughs> am, I, am I wrong? No, but your innocence on the matter is so charming. What, <laughs> someone's got to bloody do it. Well, they, they have That is it. amazing. <laughs> well, I don't see what's so funny on I that. am going to say that forevermore when uh, <laughs> when I'm having sex with men and they're like, oh, no, I'm not in the, I'm not in the place. I don't want to bottom right now. I'll be like... Someone's got to bloody do it. <laughs> yeah, they have that, haven't they? Yeah, someone's got to do it, yeah. James Barr and Dan Hudson there, from a gay and a non-gay. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Next, we have a reappearance of last year's winner of Best Comedy, The Beef and Dairy Network. This monthly podcast, presented by Benjamin Partridge, looks at the production of beef animals and dairy herds. The show, you'll be relieved to hear, is entirely fictional, combining interviews with guests from the industry, spoof adverts and mini-documentaries. Our chosen clip isn't about beef at all, but the somewhat more sensitive subject of lamb. I went to see friend of the show, Dr Sam Archer a GP best known for his appearances on BBC Two's What the Doctor Ordered and Channel 4's Celebrity Euthanasia Live. Dr Archer appeared on this podcast last year, giving advice to anyone with a lamb problem. And then the best thing to do really is to, to seal yourself up in your home with some heavy-duty tape and just, just try and go out with some dignity. He took me for a walk around his local area to show me signs of lamb use, or as it's known on the streets, bow peeping. Uh, here's a great example. Okay, you see at the corner of this street? Yeah. Okay, you see there, we've got uh, an old man, an old woman, and a young boy. We'll just hang back a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so we've got an old man, an old woman, and a young boy there. Um, this is a classic example of bow peeping happening right here because it, it's all to do with you see. Um, Usually in threes, these people get the lamb, and that's because it's one for the master, one for the dame, and one for the little boy who lives down the lane. And see, that is that—that's how they go about getting the lamb. So, which which of those three will actually be making the transaction? Uh, so that'll be the dame. Right. The dame will be the one who uh, she, she'll be uh, facilitating the the selling of the lamb between the seller, the master, and the buyer. That's the little boy who lives down the lane. Right. Mm. So this is classic bow peeping. Yeah. Happening in, in broad, broad daylight. daylight. Yeah. yeah. I have to remember this is totally legal, though. Yes, yeah, yeah. But it's disgusting. In the safety of his home, Dr Archer told me that since his appearance on this podcast last year, he has spent a lot of time researching the field more deeply. He was shocked when he discovered the gravity of what we're facing. It frightens me for the future of our, our nation and, and the globe, actually, when I think about how dangerous lamb is to, to people. You know, we're all thinking about the polar ice caps when actually we should be looking at something else that's white and moving slowly. And that's, that's sheep and the meat they produce. That was the Beef and Dairy Network presented by Benjamin Partridge. Next is a podcast that examines the extreme laziness of a man named Trevor. Babysitting Trevor was formulated by two friends, Chris Martin and Carl Donnelly, in an attempt to intervene in Kevin's inertia and help him bring about a more meaningful existence. Aside from the laughs, it also discusses mental health and well-being in a way that people can relate to. Here's a clip of Chris and Carl looking into Trevor's luggage choices. What's your briefcase for the listeners uh, at home? It's a Tesco shopping bag, isn't it? <laughs> which, which is um, tied round your hand. So yeah, reason, around my is that because so you're worried you'll lose it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's right. Could we get you maybe like a kind of, what's your opinion on a man bag for Christmas? That's something you sort of like a, over your shoulder sh- shoulder bag? I, I forget it, man. I'm always, I'm terrible. I, just, I don't wear any jewellery or watches or anything because I'm I just worried. It's something extra to f- lose, isn't it? Yeah. When so you go, you're in Bristol, 
on a, what did you what's your luggage bag for? i don't take any at all are you serious yeah i don't take luggage anywhere <laughs> Just, Damon, you were in Bristol for two nights, though. So what did you... Oh, well, I just get very clean underpants, uh, leave later on the Friday evening, very clean underpants. <laughs> and, <laughs> what? Just, do, you have a, do you have a wash bag? No, no, then that, those underpants will see me through till <laughs> Sunday morning. So do you, what about toilet? Do you brushing your teeth, brushing your teeth. Oh, no, I don't, no, I don't bother. <laughs> just no. while you're away from home, it's just live out. Yeah, obviously, we've got... Bear grills, mate. Yeah, if I go for uh, you know three days or a week, I do. But uh, for one night, two nights, I don't bother. <laughs> That's <laughs> exceptional. You're an this yeah, is great. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. So I'm, you just take one. You just take all the stuff you need on your person. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. But I don't. Uh, I just carry my bus pass, Opal card, credit card, money, front door key. I don't even take my front door key half the time. Really? There's no jeweler let me in. It's just something extra to lose. Yeah. I look at everything like that. Just oh, something extra to lose. Self-preservation. Sang, so if you go away for three days, what's your? Do you only do you only go with Julia for three days or more? Yeah, if I go away for three days, I take one pair of underpants, one pair of socks, <laughs> uh, a spare a spare shirt just in case. Just in case. Eh? What, what, just in case something bad happens? Yeah, just in case I'm stabbed or something and I need to change shirts. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. So, yeah, yeah. And would you then bring a toothbrush over three days? I tend to buy stuff of them away. If I need a toothbrush, I'll just buy it. Oh, so, I went uh, back to Australia once with no luggage at all. And I got pulled over security. I'm not surprised. So this <laughs> said, uh, and the, the bloke said, uh, this is highly suspicious. <laughs> I said, mate, I thought this would be about what I'm carrying, not not, not what I'm not carrying, you know what I mean? <laughs> and then he said to me, well, what's going on here? It's very odd. I said, well, this is it, mate. I've got two places. I've got a place in Australia, a place in England, and I've got my clothes divided up equally, and I don't have to uh, use it. Did he buy that as an explanation? He said, that's, um, he said, that's yeah, okay, mate. That, uh, we, we, okay, fair enough. Uh, I think it's rather clever of me. Now, you may not find current politics particularly uplifting, but the political party with Matt Ford steps back and brings you current affairs from a lighter angle. For over five years, Matt has spoken about the past week's news in stand-up routines, alongside interviews with political advisers and journalists. Here's a clip from last year, when a certain aspect of UKIP's party manifesto had been called into question. Um, obviously, this is now uh, taking a different turn, as UKIP general election campaigns always do. Um, they are now campaigning to ban the burqa, uh, or as they put it in their integration agenda, ban face coverings. Now, this has led to a number of clarifications, including a press conference yesterday. They had to clarify that it does not cover beekeepers. <laughs> We are yet to seek clarification on medieval knights, welders, uh, brides to be, uh, the Blue Man Group, and uh, doesn't cover beekeepers uh, unless they're Muslim beekeepers, and then it's, uh, I mean, problem number two, obviously, halal honey. Uh, amazing problem for them, but this is, there's got to be to a, a, a serious spot of bother. In fact, Jim uh, Carver, their, their foreign affairs spokesman, resigned over it. Um, now, if, if, if a policy is so right-wing that the UKIP foreign affairs spokesman can't stand by it, that's like Genghis Khan saying, yeah, I think that's a bit too much even for me, mate, to be honest. Um, so they've got themselves in a real, uh, in a real problem. Uh, to be fair to them, let's, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. 
I could see the point in wanting to see people's faces about communication. In fact, uh, Paul Little came out and said, this is just about seeing people's faces. You know, we are fascist. Sorry, fascist. Um, <laughs> Matt Ford in his satirical podcast, The Political Party. Finally in this category, we have This Paranormal Life. This show, with a vaguely familiar name, combines true crime storytelling, improv comedy and wild speculation. Every week, Rory Powers and Kit Greer explore a different paranormal tale and Mythbusters style decide whether it's true or false. Here's a clip from one of their case studies that involved a phone booth. So instead of informing the public straight away, they decide to keep it under wraps. Yes, sir. But there's one problem. The night that Travis called his brother-in-law, he obviously didn't have any money to pay for the phone booth. So he had to be connected by a phone operator. Okay, it was a collect call. Exactly. Now in these days, this wasn't an automated process. The operator was a human being. That's right. Is so, it... Is it- automatic now even when we were growing up you had to talk to someone I, I think there's it's probably I think it depends on your location yeah like a small town like Snowflake it probably is gonna be a local service okay sure so when he made the phone call in his distressed state and was connected to his brother-in-law the operator actually listened in on the phone call of course because they hear you know it's me Travis <laughs> Pick me up! There's frankly I've a UFO screaming in the background. <laughs> <laughs> I would love the idea if he phones up and he's like, <clears throat> uh, Hi, I'd like to be uh, connected to my uh, this number. And it's like, okay, yeah, can I get a name, please? Uh, Travis Walton. Um, okay. Yeah, okay, you're connected now, Travis. Oh, thank you very much. Grant! <laughs> they, they left me behind! I'm sorry, I actually haven't connected you yet. Oh, sorry. So, uh, <clears throat> just wait just a minute. Oh, so, yep. Okay, so patching you through. Uh, oh, nope, sorry, still not there. there. Still not there. So, uh... You know what, if you could just give me some sort of countdown, okay. I feel like we would help this. Sure, so, uh, patching you through in three, two... Are you gonna um, wait? Are you gonna are you gonna patch me through on one? Are you gonna or on go? I'll patch you through on uh, at the end of the countdown. So but three, uh, what are we ending on? What is the countdown uh, the, ending on? Uh, are we gonna end on you say go? Uh huh. And then we'll we'll do it. We'll end it. We'll connect the call, and then I'll be ready to go. Okay. Three. Yep. Two. One. Great. They're still not there. A little okay. early that time. So three. Wait, I forgot. Two, what are we what are we connecting on? Go. Nope, still you not said there. the key word, sir. I'm just gonna patch. At you. some point, you I'm have to understand that this is half your fault. <laughs> Do you know what? He's not even there. This paranormal life by Rory Powers and Kit Greer, and now we move on to a hugely popular podcast genre fueled by our secret passion for crime. The first nominee of 2018 for Best True Crime Podcast is Beyond Reasonable Doubt, a show that makes a series out of reopening cases with questionable outcomes. It's Radio 5 Live's first original podcast as well as the network's first true crime show. It included interviews with protagonists and approaches cases from new angles. In this clip, Chris Warburton tells us about the murder of Kathleen Peterson. Kathleen Peterson was 48 years old when she died in a pool of blood at the foot of the stairs at her home in Durham, North Carolina, in December 2001. That much is a sad fact. There was suspense. There was controversy. There was showmanship. There was 
extraordinary violence and tragedy and sadness. What happened in the minutes and hours before that are still, 16 years later, open to debate. Was this a simple but tragic accident? Was she murdered by her husband, Michael? Or did something else, something else entirely, take place that night, a few weeks before Christmas, all those years ago? It's the theatre and drama and real life that a courtroom and a trial reflect, but it's on television, like O.J. Everyone was talking about it. Everyone was interested in it. People were actually taking off work to come down to the courthouse and sit there and watch this trial. I'm Chris Warburton, and you're listening to Beyond Reasonable Doubt, episode one, at home with the Petersons. Okay. All right. Beyond Reasonable Doubt on BBC Radio 5 Live. Kathleen Peterson was found dead in the couple's home in 2001. Prosecutors say she was beaten to death. How do we go from soulmate and lover to cold-blooded murder? You're playing a game at a crooked table. The odds are against you, you'll never win. They say it's an accident. We say it's murder. This is not right. It didn't mesh with what came out in the trial. There was a beautiful family there. It was all about Michael, like he was a victim. There was something that didn't feel coincidental. And now Michael is alive. Kathleen has been 15 years in her grave. Chris Warburton of the BBC Five Live podcast, Beyond Reasonable Doubt. Now, we have another murder podcast, but this one is about very specific bloodshed. It features over 300 crimes that all happened within one square mile of London's West End, infamously known as Murder Mile, which is what presenter Michael J. Buchanan-Dune called his podcast. Michael takes us on a guided walk around the locations where the crimes happened and compelled our judges to never visit the West End. Let's hear the story behind the brutal murder of Elsie May Batten. A part-time shop assistant who would be murdered over a matter of just £15. And yet, how the culprit was caught would be a watershed moment in British policing which would change murder investigations forever. Murder Mile contains vivid descriptions, which may not be suitable for those of a sensitive disposition, as well as photos, videos and maps which accompany this series, so that, no matter where you're listening to this podcast, you'll feel like you're actually there. My name is Michael, I am your tour guide, and this is Murder Mile. Episode 7 the identikit killing at the curiosity shop. Today I'm standing in Cecil Court, WC2, a long, dark, windy little cut-through connecting the busy city streets of St Martin's Lane and Charing Cross Road. It's situated smack-bang in the middle of tourist hotspots like Leicester Square, Trafalgar Square and Covent Garden. And it's just one street away from the home of the Bedfordbury baby batterer. 
a heart-wrenching case that we discussed in episode 3. Although this alley is bookended by two of London's busiest roads, as long lines of cars stuck in traffic jams belch great plumes of polluted fumes, with horns tooting, engines revving, and the obligatory cockney cab driver calling a dangerously weaving cyclist a c**t, Cecil Court is in complete contrast to the city that surrounds it. It's very quiet, very clean, and it's very posh. Next up, we have a podcast with one of my favourite names in this year's nominations. I'm going to call it Slaughter. I mean, it's basically Slaughter, but with an apostrophe after the S. Slaughter True Crime Podcast. Lucy and Emma are both teachers in Nottingham, best friends, and they love crime. Their podcast investigates two stories each episode with a good dose of humour every time, which you might not expect from a podcast about corruption and wrongdoing. Take this clip where the pair describe the story of a woman who went missing while on a walking holiday. So at the time of her disappearance, she was 55, widowed and living in Glasgow with her adult daughter. She worked as a carer for an elderly man and had decided to take the summer off to go on a walking holiday. So her daughter had said, yeah, sure, just make sure you contact me regularly. And on the 11th of August, she'd phoned home And Margaret then told her daughter of this wonderful, wealthy man she'd just met. She also said that he'd proposed to her and she was actually seriously considering accepting. But they were going to continue on her walking holiday together. My my mum went on um, a singles holiday recently and I thought, I wonder if she'll find a companion. If she had phoned me engaged, I would have lost my shit. I'd have been like, without me meeting him? And approved. Oh, yeah, I'd have lost, I'd thought she'd have lost her mind. I'd have been, yeah. Well, yeah. consider the fact that she may be being conned or kidnapped. Yeah. Arlene, if you're listening, <laughs> think again. She'd get really offended if she's that. She'd be like, why wouldn't they be interested in me? I can <laughs> yeah. just hear her now being like, someone may propose to me. She's never going to listen to this. <laughs> if she does, I'll wait beyond next week's episode. <laughs> So, other than another postcard, that was the last contact that Margaret would have with her daughter, and she didn't arrive home as planned. So a search for the missing woman began, and the pair were traced to a guest house in Tongue, where the barmaid with the ring job was. (laughs) All these words. They'd checked in as a couple on a walk-in holiday, and then gone out together for a walk on the 16th of August. But David Kerr had returned alone, saying that Margaret had met some friends and just decided to go off with them instead. The next day he left but did pay, which suggests that perhaps he didn't want to have any attention drawn to this particular visit. Yeah. So the two rings that he'd given away to this barmaid were then taken and shown to Margaret's family and they said that they were her jewellery. Oh. So on the 24th of August, a couple of, so two days after she was reported missing, Mrs. Margaret McConey's body was found. She had been killed by blows to the head with a rock and she'd been buried in a shallow grave near Tongue. The next day, police released the photograph of Kerr to the English press. So until then, again, they hadn't wanted to show it and get any false identifications on the man that had killed Jack Shuttleworth. Right. Shuttleworth. They wanted to try and make sure that no one's 
gave any false identifications. But now with two people killed, they suspect he's a serial killer on the loose. Public safety is more important than this conviction. They just need to catch him. So I always wonder about this. A relative of the man in the photograph came forward Oh. I always think, you know, when you see them on Crime Watch, like, they must have an entire family who see that and think, fuck. Yeah, moral dilemma. Like, can you imagine if you saw My your brother? brother? I'd shop him in a heartbeat. <laughs> but I think probably if they were that, I think you'd probably have suspicions anyway. That they're a bit of a wrong depends how far away they are. If I saw the lodger on crime watch i'd be too frightened to dub him in yet because he's fucking living here yeah i'd have to get him to move which i'm trying to anyway i'd have to get him to move out and then dub it (laughs) does he listen to the podcast i don't know i don't (laughs) think so he has occasionally (laughs) lucy and emma from the slafter true crime podcast now let's talk about the assassination a 10-episode inquiry into the death of former Pakistani Prime Minister Benazir Bhutto. Presenter Owen Bennett-Jones has been investigating her death since 2007. He spoke to people that knew her and used confidential files to provide fresh insights into the case. This podcast for BBC World Service topped the iTunes chart in seven countries. Here's Owen setting the scene. Pakistan's party scene is probably not what you think. The women tend to wear tasteful dresses and show off jewels. The men, sober suits and rakish smiles. And despite laws banning alcohol, they devour booze fueled salacious gossip. Some journalists shy away from socialising with contacts, believing it compromises their independence. I never saw it like that. For me, access is key, which is why when I was throwing a party, I thought, why not ask the former Prime Minister, Benazir Bhutto? She won't come, of course, but she did. Late in the evening, her convoy swept up to my doorstep just as the other guests were leaving. She stepped out and everyone turned around and came back in. Benazir stayed until four in the morning. And yes, she was one of those people who dominated the room. Everyone hung on every word. Power on a sofa. This coffee's revolting, she said. You should do something about your cook. Actually, I'd made it myself. Unimaginable in her world, of course. And then on discovering I had three children much the same age as hers, she said, Mine hate coming to Pakistan. They spent most of their time in Dubai. Maybe if they made friends with yours, it would be better. Come down to Larkana. We went. It was her ancestral home. And there, she was like a queen. Sitting on a raised dais, Benazir held court in front of a crowd of supplicants. In the front row, ranged around her throne, former cabinet ministers and her ambassadors to foreign powers. Then, in semicircles of decreasing status, leaders of her political party, members of parliament, provincial and local officials, the staff who ran the house, and at the back, 
the peasantry. Where are my tablets, she demanded, prompting a Filipino maid to rush up bearing a crumpled plastic carrier bag full of pills. As her courtiers schemed, Benazir swallowed her medicine. And the children? Well, needless to say, they hated each other at first sight. That was The Assassination for BBC World Service. Let's end this category with the reigning champion of true crime, They Walk Among Us. This podcast covers a broad range of cases from the sinister to the surreal and has had over 8 million downloads in the past year. And if this clip doesn't creep you out, I don't know what will. On August 16th, Gareth was due to chair a meeting at work, however didn't arrive. His decomposing body was found at 4.40pm on August 23rd in a North Face sports bag. A man who's believed to have been a UK spy has been found dead in a flat near the headquarters of MI6. His body was found on Monday afternoon at an upmarket property in the central London district of Pimlico. It's understood the corpse was stuffed into a bag and left in the bathroom. Scotland Yard's launched a murder investigation but has so far declined to comment on reports the victim worked for GCHQ. That's the government's intelligence information agency based in Cheltenham. Police say they are looking into several leads. The man's yet to be formally identified and a post-mortem examination's being conducted today. Despite the limited information at the time, there was speculation surrounding the circumstances of Gareth's death with the reports suggesting his body had been cut into pieces. In the official police dispatch for that day, the CAD, officers said they found what appeared to be a torso in the bag, a body whose head, arms and legs may have been removed. Now, officers didn't touch the body, so they weren't sure, but one said the apparent murder was a neat job, a phrase used by police for a professional killing. It is believed that Gareth Williams died on August 16th, 2010. He was reported missing after he didn't show up for work, so a welfare check was completed at Gareth's rented flat. When PC John Gallagher arrived at the scene, he didn't receive a response, so the front door was knocked down. PC Gallagher searched the flat, which looked remarkably tidy. Throughout the property, the constable noted a woman's wig, a laptop, a mobile phone, two SIM cards and what would later be confirmed as £20,000 worth of women's designer clothes. When the constable entered the bathroom, the first thing he noticed was the absence of any toiletries. A large red North Face holdall had been placed in the bath. The bag had two zips which looked to have been padlocked together. Noticing a bulge in the holdall, PC Gallagher lifted the heavy bag about six to seven inches in the air before he realised a red liquid was seeping from the underside. When the bag was finally opened, Gareth Williams's naked body was found inside. Benjamin Fritton of They Walk Among Us. And finally in this episode, we move to the Best Entertainment Award, supported by Sony Music's 4th Floor Creative. Podcasts that are not only good at talking about a huge variety of topics, they do it in a very entertaining way. Nothing to Declare podcast is presented by stand-up comedian Kojo and internet prankster 
motif. They deliver a blunt commentary of crimes and misdemeanours currently in the news while teasing out the secrets behind the host's personalities. Here they are in action. It's really the kind of some things about him being white and some things aren't about him no, being no, white. No, no, this none of this is about him being white. So what I'm saying if Twin B was a white guy though. But what about the black woman that's like that does not find that funny, brother? You know why? Because if I'm a licensed girl and I've been going through so much headache, do I even want you to be joking about that? I'm not saying that, oh, you're being racist, so I'm not saying that, oh, everyone's being racist towards Logan Summer. What I'm saying is that we can't ignore there's a racial element to this. His knowledge of hip-hop, yeah, is so extensive, yeah, that he knows it more than black people, man. He, he knows it more than black folks. No, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. No, 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 no you're no, generalising. No, hold on, hold on, not, you're generalising. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Nothing to declare podcast, Kojo and Teeth in the building. What's going on, Teeth? Chit, 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 what were you saying? You good, brother? You good? Yes, I'm very, very good, man. Um, so... This is quite uh, an interesting one, um, today's uh, topic, because I think, um, I think, you know, nothing to declare, we, we, we like to just go there. You see what I'm trying to mm-hmm. say? We're very unapologetic, um, unless we have to apologise. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know uh, what I mean? And sometimes you might have to, yeah, you might have to. to yet, so. but, um, but we like we like to go there and kind of, um, you know, look underneath the carpet. It's just, for me, it's just like, I, I think it's just, there needs to be, and I'm not, again, I'm not saying it's trying to be like, oh, look at what we're doing, we're so cool. I'm, I mean, yeah, we I'm, are. I'm, we are. <laughs> yeah, we're amazing, we're fucking amazing. Yeah. I'm glad you think so, bro. But I think, it, for me, the, the bottom line is, is that it's like honesty with the best intentions. Mm-hmm. Because I think we're in a, we're, we're, we're in a culture, or we're in an age. Yeah, but, but, but it's also kind of like, be honest. because mm. cause, but, but be honest with good intentions. Because what I mean by good intentions is that there's no point in being honest if you're just trying to inflict harm on people. Or, like, or just, you know, want your, your opinion to be right. Okay, which, yeah. which in terms is just quite harmful. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you're not trying to have a, if you're not trying to be dialectic, which means that get to a truth, mm-hmm. if you're trying to do that, then it's, mm-hmm. it's quite harmful. But you have to be having, the, the, the good intentions have to, has to be you're trying to get to a truth. Yes. It's just like yes. maybe you just don't understand it yes. right here. But, but to get to that truth, we have to be honest. Right. Otherwise, what are we talking about? Right. And that is, the, that is the key word yeah. for this show, mm. which is honesty. Mm. Yeah. Because I'm going to be mentioning some names on this episode. Yeah. And I don't give a shit. Because you know what? And when I mention your name, if I you listen to this and you hear me crazy. mention your name or you hear someone's name mentioned and you run to them because you're... Cause you 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 know you're a chatty patty. Well, do it. It spreads the podcast. Then, then cool because because <laughs> because I want them to I want them to give me an honest answer. Kojo and Teeth from the Nothing to Declare podcast. Next up, we have Griefcast, a show that combines the unlikely duo of death and comedy. Each week, Cariad Lloyd invites a fellow comedian to tell their story of bereavement. In this clip, Cariad talks to stand-up and writer Lou Conran. I'm not a moany, out loudy type in pain mm. t- sort of person. I kind of internalise it. So I was sort of laying on the bed, uh, groaning, and then um, I was like, I, re- I really need some painkillers. And, uh, and then one woman was like, oh, we'll get you some codeine. I was like, I'm allergic to codeine. <gasps> Shit. Yeah, so she was like, we'll get you some paracetamol. I was like, Mm, oh great <laughs> oh my god yeah that'll do it yeah. that'll sort it out and then eventually I got I was allowed to have some diamorphine then I was I was off with the fairies for a couple of hours and then uh, when it started dying off the pain was just like mm. um, and then I was like please I really need another shot of this <laughs> well she was like oh we've only signed you off for one I'll have to go and get the doctor to sign you off for another. I was like, go and get me another, go and get me some more. And then as she left the room, 
I turned over, my waters broke, and I was like, oh, I'm about to give birth. So I just sort of got myself off the bed. Wow. And said, so you were on your own? There was no midwife at this no, point? No, no, no. <gasps> no. So I was like, Alan... And uh, so we went into the bathroom, and then Alan sat next to me, holding my hand as I gave birth into this bedpan. But I didn't birth the placenta, so she was still attached to me. Oh, mate. <laughs> so... So I hope nobody's eating their lunch while they're listening to this. (laughs) And so then eventually the nurse came back and I I was like, oh, it's happened. And um, and then then she sort of like had a look between my legs and then she went, oh, right, okay. She said, all right, you haven't birthed a placenta. So so then she was like, right, we're going to need to get you back to the bed. So she picked up the baby, (sighs) held her between my legs as I got onto the bed and then sort of laid her on the bed and but covered her over and the I, I saw her face and it was just like I've seen her face I've seen her face and the nurse was like oh gosh I'm sorry because they they'd sort of said to me there is a chance that she'll be born alive so and then the woman said oh if uh, if you if you hear a kind of uh, kind of noise that's her dying oh God, basically I so I was just you know I mean it's all a bit uh, bonkers, really. It's so, it must have been because it's so much. It's almost like your brain can't yeah. oh, take. You just can't take yeah. it in. It's the like it, hearing it from you. I feel so like oh my god, that is the most such a difficult situation. But I can imagine at the time, it's just like, well, this was happening. Yeah, <laughs> like, this is how this, do you how yeah. do you process? Well, that? you don't really. You yeah. just get on with it. Carriad Lloyd with guest Lou Conran on Griefcast. The next podcast is probably true. That's the name, I'm not doubting the facts. Making a triumphant return to our list of nominees, Probably True tells stories of LGBT issues in a fun and engaging way from the perspective of a gay man in London. This is an extract of an episode about LGBT pride parades, their history and why we still need them. I've honed my general pattern for Pride Day to something of a fine art. It tends to involve getting smashed on cheap booze around midday and watching the parade, while playing a game of spot the guys I've already shagged as they march past. It's a game that's pretty much a weird mashup of guess who and the conveyor belt bit from the generation game. Actually, no, it's more like reverse Tinder, rather than saying yes, I am attracted to that person, or no, I'm not. It's yes, I have slept with that person, or no, I haven't. And there's also the added fun of a category for maybe we did? He definitely looks familiar. So yeah, I get horribly smashed drinking in the day. I spend half an hour pushing through crowds in Soho before realising that I'm too old and too drunk for that kind of crap. And then I head home for a nap at about three o'clock. Then I sleep till the next morning and just generally get on with things. And every year in the run-up to Pride, there's the inevitable brilliant argument about if X should be allowed like the S&M pups might scare the children, or a military flyby might give the wrong message. My favourite was the year when there was a big hoo-ha about whether or not gay UKIP supporters should be allowed to march. I was all for that one, to be honest. To my mind, if you can complete the sentence, I'm LGBT and, then you can march. Admittedly, if you want to walk down the street proclaiming, I'm LGBT and I vote UKIP, then lots of people are going to assume that you're a xenophobic, self-loathing fuck puppet. And if that doesn't make you think twice, then go for it. Shine on, you fucking mental diamond.
That was the point of the original Pride rally, after all. And if you don't know the history of the gay liberation movement, or the names Marsha P. Johnson, Brenda Howard, and Storm A. Devine, or what happened during the Christopher Street Revolution, then you need to go do a Google and educate yourself. It's totally worth it, I promise. It involves gay and trans people, some of them in drag, forming a chorus line and chasing the riot police down the street while high-kicking and singing. Honestly, that's a real thing that actually happened. We call Pride Gay Christmas, which is fun, although a couple of years ago the Pope used his actual Christmas message to denounce homosexuality as a threat to all of humanity. Awkward! Anyway, enough of the silly man in a dress who's lost his grip on reality and has no idea what's going on around him. I'm talking about Pride, which is more about people in drag drinking so much that... Oh. Scott Flashheart of the Probably True podcast. Our next nominee in the entertainment category is The Butterfly Effect by author, journalist, screenwriter and, about a million other things, John Ronson. Whilst no stranger to radio, this is John's first dabble at podcasting. In this Audible original, he travels to California's San Fernando Valley, where most of the world's pornography is made, and looks at the effect that free online porn has had on the industry. Here's a clip from the first episode, recorded on the set of Bad Babysitters, Volume 2. And just a warning, you'll probably want to wear headphones. It was fans illegally uploading films like this onto Pornhub that set Fabian Tillman on his path to fortune. Mike, when we get a break from filming, will you take me onto Pornhub and show me what sure, you shot? I can show you everything I've shot over the last 10 years. It's all on there. Oh, you're going to do it now? Of course. I'm going to go onto Pornhub <laughs> and I'm just going to randomly search. Uh, literally, I shot this movie two months ago, and here it is. The entire movie, and it's right there on Pornhub. And it's the whole movie. It's not just a clip or a, or a little snippet to get you to go somewhere else. It's the whole f***ing movie. So, you know, what am I going to do? And are you going to do anything about it? Well, I'm going to go shoot another scene right now that's going to end up in exactly the same place. That's what I'm going to do. It's very depressing. Many years ago, Fabian Tillman had an idea. The idea was to get rich from flooding the world with easily available free porn. Now, I'm tracing that idea's butterfly effect. If you keep going, following consequence through to consequence, where will you end up? This is Samantha Roan. She's 23 years old. She seems to be very, very with it and uh, not dysfunctional in any way, shape, or form, although there tend to be a, a wisp of darkness in everyone that does this for a living, so we'll find out. <laughs> a wisp of darkness. Mike is an old-style porn director. He makes traditional, high-end, well-shot porn with porn stars and dialogue scenes and good lighting. The kind of thing that used to sell pretty well on DVD until Fabian and Pornhub came along. Now... Mike's world is dying. Who is your paying market now? Like, somebody must still be paying you because you're still making porn. You have to serve many masters instead of one, or at least I do. That's the way I have to work now. When I shoot content, it has to be appropriate for broadcast for different parts of the world. Obviously, the internet. Um, we still release stuff on DVD. You know, so we just you have to spread it so thin that you know you take a little bit of profit, whatever's left from these various 
segments. And then together that still keeps you afloat. The profit margin is obviously razor thin now. And then, so it's more of a volume business than anything else, which is sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy in terms of the downward spiral that we're in. John Ronson. And the final podcast in the entertainment category, and this episode, is about creative work from around the world called the It's Nice That podcast. Presenters Will Hudson and Alex Beck pick examples of popular creativity and try to work out why they're successful, as well as interviews with leading experts and pioneering creatives alike. The show is made by Podcast of the Year winners 2017, Radio Wolfgang, so you'd expect some decent production, which this clip definitely demonstrates. Here's hosts Will and Alex introducing Frank Gatson Jr., Beyonce's longtime choreographer and creative director. Today we're speaking about something that I guess is very dear to my heart. I was writing about this subject for about five years and it's nice that every single Monday morning Lots of these things get shared around the office all the time. Um, we all have different ways in. We have our favourite. Today, we're going to be looking at music videos. Yeah, something that I think I might know or have an opinion about. <laughs> Good. Well, that's that's a relief for all our listeners out there. Will has an opinion on this topic. So, I don't know. It's something that we both feel very familiar with. Obviously, a lot of people are very familiar with music videos. We were children of the 80s, so... MTV was obviously a big part of our childhood. Massive part. I have a, I have a really good story about MTV and music TV. <laughs> music TV. Oh my it's God. It's not what <laughs> Stick with us. Our next guest has choreographed pretty much every Beyonce dance since she was in Destiny's Child. My name is Frank Gatson Jr. G-A-T-S-O-N, not G-A-S-T-O-N. Those are the rich ones from France. I am a director, I'm a creative director, and I'm a choreographer, and I'm a manager, so I uh, kind of do it all. He's worked with some of the biggest names in music history, including Michael Jackson. There's a lot of artists I work with. There's a lot of music videos that I danced in, and I uh, did a lot of various videos, so I got Body Glove, Dancing as a Dancer, in Vogue. I even danced in Janet Jackson all right as a dancer. You know, I'm in there doing a split. I, I just got to say it in a humble way, please get my resume from my agent and then because it's a lot of people. I've, I'm very fortunate to have the career since 1987. A lady from Columbia Records named uh, Camille sees my work with Invoke and she introduces me to Destiny's Child. And that's where I first meet Beyonce. Uh, and and i never forget her walking in the room. And I swear to God, I walked out of that rehearsal that day, that very first day, the video we were rehearsing for was no, 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 no. I told everybody, I just met the second coming of Michael Jackson. Everybody laughed. But now they see, okay? So that's the fact. Frank Gatson Jr. speaking on the It's Nice That podcast with hosts Will and Alex. And that's the end of our rundown of the best comedy, entertainment and true crime podcasts. Two down, three shows to go. If your favourite British podcast isn't on the list, they can still win something if you nominate them for the Listener Choice Award. It's free. All you have to do is vote at britishpodcastawards.com forward slash vote by Thursday the 17th of May. The rules are also on the site. That's britishpodcastawards.com. And don't forget to check out the fabulous podcasts of The Guardian at theguardian.com forward slash audio. I'm Rihanna Dillon. The producers were Chika Ayres and Matt Hill for Rethink Audio and the British Podcast Awards. Until next time, goodbye.
The Guardian.